Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. To explain where I am, I'm on an evacuation train. So I want you to imagine something. Imagine for a minute your town, your home, has come under fire from Russian forces. You've made an incredibly tough decision to leave. You pack up everything you can carry, you grab your family, and hop on a train full of hundreds of other people who have made that same choice. It's not clear what the future holds once that train stops, but at least you're out of harm's way for the time being. CNN's Ivan Watson was actually on one of these trains the other day. And... You finally decided to leave with your family. What was it yes. that finally pushed um, you? Uh, because I'm just worried. Just worried. My, uh, I have very old granny and my mother don't want to leave her alone. And I decided to go alone because I'm very afraid to stay there. How many weeks were you... And I say all this because early Friday morning, hundreds of people lined up on a platform to get on one of those trains, hoping to make that same trip to safety. Instead, All right, the breaking news this morning, this attack on a railway station in eastern Ukraine. It's a key evacuation point from part of the country where the Ukrainians expect the Russians to begin what they call a massive offensive within days. That shocking missile strike on a train station in the city of Kramatorsk killed at least 52 people and injured 99 more with civilians and children among the dead. It was met again by horror and outrage from much of the world. My guest today is CNN senior international correspondent Matthew Chance. He was in Kyiv during the first moments of the Russian invasion back in February. On today's episode, we hear how Russian soldiers are communicating with each other on the ground, peel back the layers of Vladimir Putin's inner circle, and examine if the truth is breaking through the Russian propaganda. From CNN, this is Tug of War. I'm David Ryan. So, Matthew, we last spoke on February 28th, if you can believe it, when you were in Kyiv, right as the war started. You've been back in London now for a bit. Uh, How are you holding up, first of all? Yeah, I'm I'm holding up. uh, I'm holding up fine. I mean, I took a a good week off, you know, and tried to decompress. I went on a long bike ride, which was good. But, um, you know, look, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of ready to go back to Ukraine now, and I'll be doing that as soon as I get an opportunity to do it. Um, and I see that the situation, as I've, and obviously I've been keeping an eye on it from afar, um, the situation has continued to deteriorate in terms of the awful atrocities we're seeing uh, perpetrated in, in Ukraine. It continues to be an utter nightmare, doesn't it? 
Yeah, and and I want to ask about that because just today we're talking on Friday. We hear hear about this strike on a train station in eastern Ukraine as evacuees are trying to get out. Hardly seems like an accident to target such a, a place like a train station. Well, no, and actually we've 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 seen um, really not just in this conflict, but in other conflicts as well that Russia has been you know, involved in, whether it's Syria, whether it's Chechnya, whether it's you know, other places around the world. You know, they they do tend to target civilian infrastructure and they say they don't, of course. They categorically deny any wrongdoing. But of course, there's a I think what we observe is a real cynicism when it comes to the Russian armed forces. You know, and if you take a really hardline view of conflict in this era, train stations, hospitals, you know, houses, you know, they're all part of the same problem for an advancing Russian army. You know, that civilian infrastructure supports the military. It gives the city the will to continue to resist. And so in that cynical sense, it's a legitimate target. You mentioned the cynicism. Can you tell me about these intercepts of radio communications that may give us a a kind of glimpse into some of that? Yes. I mean, there's there's, there's some absolutely astonishing ones. I mean, look, I mean, a lot of the ones that I've seen or heard rather coming from the Ukrainian security services. And so there's a little caveat on that, which is, mm. you know, look, they have an interest in, in pushing this kind of stuff out. Sure. But when you marry it with, with, with what we're actually seeing with our own eyes on the ground, you know, it's very hard to, to sort of say, look, you know, this is nonsense. This, this doesn't make any sense because it does make sense. One intercept that I, I've been working with is looking at how soldiers have been speaking to another, soldiers speaking to their commanders, about whether to target civilians or not. You hear the voice of a Russian soldier speaking to somebody who clearly is commander saying, look, I'm not sure if it was a car that just went past or a military vehicle, but I am seeing two people coming out, walking down the road dressed as civilians. And the commander comes across and says, you know, there's lots of expletives being used. He says, basically, kill them. Kill them for F's sake, he says. And then the soldier goes, got it, you know, but I just want to say that the whole village here is civilian. He's like, commander says, what's wrong with you? If there are civilians there, slay them all. Hmm. And the Kremlin blames the Ukrainian forces for all this, this devastation, but, you know, there are hours of, of recordings now, uh, which have been released by the Ukrainian security services, that tell a story about how not just individual civilians, as I say, have been killed, but whole civilian areas have been, you know, laid to waste by Russian forces on purpose. Another exchange between a soldier and a commander. You know, the commander saying, yeah, fire the shells everywhere, shell the settlements directly. And the soldier's like, got it, that's what I'm doing. Uh, he names a couple of villages uh, and he says, yeah, you know, I'm passing on the coordinates. And the commander shouts, you know, shell them, shell them. To raise these two villages to the ground. And so again, you know, it's, 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 the, it's this indication that it's not just civilian areas that have been hit in a battle or civilians who have been killed in the crossfire. There appears to be a deliberate strategy on the part of Russian forces in Ukraine. It's like deliberately extreme. Yeah, deliberately extreme. Not just with no regard for civilian life, 
but with the intention of degrading civilian infrastructure and civilian life, probably in order to remove the will of that region to resist and to fight. You may remember I got criticized for calling Putin a war criminal. Well, the truth of the matter is so it happened in Vukovic. This warrants him, he is a war criminal. But we have to gather the information. We have to- I'm quite interested in the war crimes issue as well. And of course, there's lots of forensic evidence being gathered at the moment at the scene of mass graves and things like that, and testimony being taken by international investigators. This guy is brutal. And what's happening in Vukovic is outrageous. And everyone's seen it. But there is a, only a very slim possibility, if a possibility at all, that any war crimes trials will be held as long as this Russian government or any remnants of this Russian government stays stays in power. You know, there's no way Russia is going to be offering up soldiers or commanders that ordered the killing of civilians. That's just not, that's just not going to happen. And so in some ways, it's it's hard to imagine that this collection of evidence is going to have any actual material impact in terms of bringing justice in the end. Right. So we've been trying to you know, grapple with how how do you punish something that looks like so obviously a war crime, their denials notwithstanding. But, you know, the sanctions that we've seen in the last couple of days from the US, the EU, what sticks out to you about these attempts to punish Russia for, for what they've allegedly done? Well, I mean, the, the sanctions, um, not just these sanctions, but you know, all of the sanctions we've seen imposed against Russia over the past several years. And the way I see them, and they're not necessarily that effective. They haven't been so far. Not these sanctions, not the sanctions before. But they're at least you know, a tool by which the West and other countries around the world can do something. Yeah. Because the alternative has always been, well, we can't go to war directly with Russia, but we have to do something. you know. And so we impose sanctions. And, and, and that's the value, I think, of sanctions, because the alternative is you know, very frightening and, and potentially devastating for us all. Hmm. You know, but in terms of whether the sanctions actually have any impact or not, well, they don't seem to be. I mean, the, the sanctions are the toughest sanctions that have ever been imposed against a world power, as far as I'm aware. Uh, they've, they've sanctioned the central bank. The United States has essentially stopped Russia from using its hundreds of billions of dollars uh, of currency to, to fund its conflict. Um, but that still hasn't diverted the Russians. Uh, from uh, from carrying on this war, and of course there are there's every possibility, every probability that the sanctions being so tough, it's going to have an impact on Western economies as well. Now, one one of the sanctions that the U.S. imposed was uh, directly on Vladimir Putin's daughters. What do we know about them exactly? I think a lot of people were even surprised to know that he had daughters. Yeah, he has got daughters. He's got two daughters we know about, uh, Maria and Katerina. And actually, there are rumors, unconfirmed, that he has other children as well. But of course, the Kremlin denies that. But it's the two, it's the two older daughters, these daughters from his marriage to Ludmilla Putina, who have been sanctioned. Uh, they keep very you know, low-profile lives. They don't even call themselves Putina. You know, they don't have the same name as him. Hmm. And they obviously are extremely wealthy and they obviously occupy key positions in Russian society. But I think it's just a message of, you know, the world showing, the United States showing the, the Putin family and Vladimir Putin personally, that they will reach out to people close to him and make them feel the price, pay the price of what's taking place in Ukraine. 
it's interesting. They've sanctioned Putin's daughters. They've accused Vladimir Putin of being a war criminal, but they haven't actually sanctioned him. And I think that's because there's still this idea that they want to leave Vladimir Putin a way out of this. If you, if you, if you sanction Vladimir Putin, he can't you know, go to any further international summits. You know, peace talks are basically going to be much more difficult to organize. It's going to potentially make him much more hardline in terms of what he is able to do uh, diplomatically. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So, Matthew, Vladimir Putin's inner circle, is that the way to him to get him to stop? Because, you know, so far it doesn't seem like that's having an effect. Like, who has his ear that could truly get him to change course here? Or are we just way past that? That's a good question, and you know, unfortunately, you know, there isn't there isn't a clear answer to it. You know, I think it was Churchill who said, you know, watching Russia or watching the Kremlin is like watching bulldogs fighting under a carpet. You know, you see a lot of blood and and fur, but you don't really know what's happening. Hmm. Um, and it, and that was true back in the nineteen thirties and forties. It's sort of true now as well. You know, we don't really know uh, with any high degree of accuracy what the what the political machinations are taking place uh, behind those high red walls of the, of the Kremlin. But, you know, he's got people close to him. He's got ministers who are senior, Sergei Shoigu, the, the Russian defence minister, you know, Valery Gerasimov, the, the military commander of the country, you know, the, he's the head of the FSB, the head of the, the foreign security services, all the other various you know, people that he, he he has around him, his friends he plays judo with, you know, his friends he plays hockey with, you, you know, they've all got a certain amount of influence and they've got his ear. But, you know, as is often the case with autocrats, there's, there's been a, an active policy for many, many years to make sure there is no rival to Vladimir Putin. You know, he, he destroys people who pose a political threat to him. And, in addition to that, we've just gone through a pandemic. We're still in the middle of it in some areas. And Putin has been particularly isolated, infamously 
kind of kept away from everybody else. Yeah, we've seen those long tables. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy, and it's the, the massive, you know, absurdly long tables. He's also been in a sort of COVID isolation bubble for a couple of years. And so, yeah, the speculation that that could have had an impact on his his thought process, he's become slightly slightly disconnected from the reality of, of the outside world. Now, whether or that, that's that's true or not, I, I don't know. We, we, we will, I expect, see. A lot of it will depend on what he chooses to do next. Are you kind of saying by design – the inner circle is only going to have so much impact because it's all to keep him in power. Yeah, it's a power vertical, I think, is the phrase that's often used to describe. It's like a pyramid, and Vladimir Putin is on top of it, and everything goes through him. Even small decisions that you'd normally, in in sort of democratic countries, you'd, you'd delegate to ministers or to people much below that, you know, are taken by him. Even though it's a vast country, it's the biggest country in the world, it's very much a personal fiefdom of Vladimir Putin. And that makes it very hard for any general to say, hey, this is not going great on the ground in Ukraine. Well, exactly. And if and if a general does do that, then, you know, that general's career could be in jeopardy. I mean, look, there's a really good comparison that I read a while ago between Hitler and Stalin. And, you know, it's about whether you impose a political um, ideology on a military operation, or whether you accept the military realities or not. And, and both Hitler and Stalin, you know, when they went to war, they both had political ideologies. I mean, obviously Hitler was, you know, determined, resolute in the idea that the Aryans were the master race. Uh, Stalin did not believe when Ru- when Russia was invaded, when the Soviet Union was invaded by by Germany. He famously didn't believe it for several days. He just didn't believe mm. his commanders. Uh, but eventually, he accepted it. And he took the appropriate military action, regrouped, and you know allowed the military officers to take control of the conflict. Hitler famously never did that. Yeah. His political beliefs, his political dogmas were allowed to dictate the course of the war, which obviously led to ultimately his defeat. And so I think one interesting question now is what is, what is Putin going to be like? Is Putin going to accept the realities on the ground and be like Stalin and regroup and sort of you know, change things to acknowledge the reality? Or is it going to be more like Hitler and go, I don't care what is happening on the ground. We're still going to persist with my political ideology to topple Ukraine or whatever it is. You know, we, we still don't know what the next stage in this conflict is going to be. I think the early signs that they're pulling back from Kiev and they're focusing on eastern Ukraine you know, probably talks to the idea that the reality of the military situation on the ground is being heard at last in, in Russia. At least in some way. Um, and we talk about the Russian people here. Are they seeing... Those images from Bucha and Bardianka, are th- is that getting through to them? I mean, look, the, some of the images are getting through, but remember, of course, Russia keeps a very tight grip on the on the flow of information. So some of the images are getting through, but alongside those images is intensive, round-the-clock Russian state propaganda, which tells viewers in Russia this killing, this bloodshed, this devastation isn't isn't Russian forces that are doing it. It's the Ukrainians that are doing it. It's the Ukrainian Nazis or neo-Nazis that are doing it. Um, the, the civilians that are dead were killed by Ukrainian nationalists. Um, the civilians are, are, are happy to be liberated by uh, Russian forces as they enter Mariupol, for instance. Mm. And of course, there's a, there's a small amount of people, there's an amount of people, we don't know what the proportions are, but there's some people in Russia that believe that wholeheartedly. But I, I like to think that the majority of people in Russia 
know that it's not real, right? Russians aren't stupid. They're smart, you know. But voicing criticism or dissent from the official position is not just dangerous in Russia, but it's been made illegal as well. So mm. you've got to be very brave to do it. But the reason propaganda works, I think, so effectively in Russia is because Russians don't want to believe that their country is capable of killing women and children and raping them and destroying Yeah, them. who would be proud of that? Yeah, they would hate that. So it provides a means by which they can they not accept that reality. It's why propaganda is so embraced and sort of believed by so many people, it seems, because you know they want to believe that their country is good, not this sort of like evil regime that sort of kills people for no reason. Yeah. So, you know, who, who would want to acknowledge that there's something fundamentally wrong with your country? I mean, really fundamentally wrong in that way. When we spoke last, you you said you you didn't recognize the Russia involved here, and um, you weren't sure you know what kind of place it would be when you go back if you go back. What are your thoughts a month plus in now about that place? And, and do you think you'll ever go back? Um, I'd like to go back. I mean, I've still got an apartment in Moscow. I mean, I haven't really formally left yet. Right, I've just not right. been back since since the invasion happened. And so uh, I, I intend to go back, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm going to have to wait until I get there to to see what kind of country it's become. I mean, I've got lots of friends, lots of people I know in, in Russia, of course. and Right. And, and they're feeling the economic impact of of, of the sanctions um, and of the shortages and of the you know, the capital controls, the financial restrictions that have been imposed on them by the, the Russian government in this time of war. But I mean, I, I'm still hopeful that that things will stabilise a little bit more, and that I'm, I'm still hoping there'll be eventually some kind of some kind of peace agreement that will resolve this conflict or, or bring it to an end at least. I just don't know when that's going to be. You know, I've stopped making predictions about what Russia's going to do next, by the way, you know, after you know, for many years thinking they were never going to invade Ukraine and then sort of witnessing the actual invasion take place when I was live on television. You know, and I'm still I'm still completely shocked by that, actually. And so I still haven't really squared the circle of how I and so many other people who have been very close, closely watching Russia managed to not see that it was happening because when i look back at the 20 years that i've been covering russian wars putin's wars well there's been a lot of speculation about where the russian troops are well here they are well, chechnya georgia the air is filled with the smell of jet fuel syria and the ground shudders with the roar of those warplanes returning from their bombing missions you know, eastern ukraine now this oh my god there's another one there. It's, it's terrible to see the grim inhumanity of a war. There's almost a linear progression from him dabbling in using the military to resolve an internal dispute right through to full-on confrontation with the West when it comes to Ukraine. Mm. And so looking back on it in retrospect, it could have been predicted, and of course there are people out there that did predict this, not least the Ukrainians who have been saying for years that this was going to happen. And so maybe it's not so strange that Putin is involved in this devastating conflict in Ukraine. Matthew Chance, it's great to talk to you again. All right, thank you very much, David. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Remember, new episodes of this podcast every Sunday and Wednesday. And for real-time updates on the war, subscribe to CNN Five Things wherever you listen.
Tug of War is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by me, David Rind, along with Audrey Horowitz, Nathan Miller, and Paolo Ortiz. Felicia Patinkin is the senior producer, and Megan Marcus is the executive producer. Special thanks to Andrew Morse, Courtney Coop, Ashley Lusk, and Elizabeth Roberts. I'll talk to you next time. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.